Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week in synagogues throughout the Jewish world, the parasha, the weekly portion that is read, is entitled Shalach. It is a story that is highlighted by an episode known as the Miraglim, the story of the Twelve Spies. Our Torah portion begins in chapter 13 of Numbers and continues through the conclusion of chapter 15. Let me give you a summary of the highlights of the event uh, expressed and spoken about in that parasha, and then deal with the episode of the Miral Gleam in specifics. After the Levites were appointed caretakers of the tabernacle in last week's parasha, God says to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Each of the tribes sent a leader for the exploration, and Moses said to these explorers, here is your charge. See if the land is good or bad, fertile or lean. Are the people strong or weak? Are they few or numerous? Are the cities opened or fortified? Since it was time for grapes to be in season, the explorers went as far as the Valley of the Grapes, the Torah tells us. They cut down a cluster of grapes and gathered pomegranates and figs. They returned from spying at the end of 40 days. They showed the entire community the fruit of the land and then said, We came into the land and it is indeed flowing with milk and honey. But the people that dwell in the land are too strong, and the cities are greatly fortified. Caleb, one of the spies, or Miraglim, spoke up to the silence. We can go in and take possession of the land. We are able to do it. But the men who had gone with him did not agree and responded, We cannot go against these people. They are giants, and we are but grasshoppers in their eyes. The entire community, hearing the report of the spies' response, they railed against Moses and Aaron. They said, we would rather have died in Egypt than come back here to this land to be fallen by a sword. Take us back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron prostrate themselves before the whole community. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Yithnuah, both of the twelve tore their garments in mourning and then publicly said to anybody, the land we explored was good land, very good land. If God is pleased with us, God shall bring us into the land and give it to us, a land truly flowing with milk and honey. We must not rebel against God. These people of the land are not to be feared, for they are our bread. Their protection has parted from them. For God is with us. The entire community hearing these words responded by pelting them with stones, 
until the glory of God appeared. And God said to Moses, how long will these people provoke me? How long will they put no faith in me, despite all the signs that I have performed in their midst? I will smite them. Moses responds to God by saying, The people of this land will hear that you are God who brought us out of the land of Egypt and God who steers them with a cloud. What will they say if you kill them? Will they say that you are not powerful enough to bring the people into the promised land? So therefore, let it be as you once uttered it, God. The Lord, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, forgiver of iniquity and transgression, who cleanses, but who does not clean completely, recalling the iniquity of parents upon children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to your great kindness, as you have forgiven this people ever since Egypt. God hears Moses' prayer, and the story continues that the the, um, tribes are asked to offer an offering, that the ten tribes are, the ten spies are dispatched, and the people of Israel need to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years, one year for each of the day that they went into the land. In this week's Torah portion, God gave the Israelites instructions for how they might enter the land. And one of the most unusual commandments that is found immediately after the incident with the spies is the following. God told the Israelites, God told Moses to instruct the Israelites that upon uh, entering the promised land, they are to give offerings to God and to remember throughout all generations that the stranger who entered their land shall be equal with them before God, that there is one standard for everyone. What an interesting commandment. Notice that the entirety of the story is about entering the land and faith with God, And then it indicates that if you were not of the covenant, that you were equal to the people of the covenant under the law. Now, some biblical commentators think that this refers to a proselyte, meaning one who has committed themselves to the covenant, um, and other commentators remind us that the Torah tells us that the with the Jews who left Egypt were a mixed multitude of non-covenantal people, people not of the tribe of Israel. What 
seems to resonate in the Torah portion is the need for different peoples to be treated equally under the law. How relevant does that feel today when in countries throughout the world there are protests at raising questions about whether society can do just that? Whether those countries are in North America or Europe or the Middle East, the issues are all the same. Can the other be protected by law? And will people accept that as an ultimate value for their society? The Torah is very clear that you will be living among strangers. You will never be living in a homogenous community. And therefore, those who have power in the community should see themselves as having responsibility for those who are powerless. I think that is what it implies and suggests about those who are not part of your community, are strangers. They are the powerless, and they shall be equal before the eyes of God. The Torah portion ends with a significant commandment, tell the Israelites to make fringes on the corner of their garments with a cord of sky blue. Each thread shall remind you of the commandments of God, and they shall remind you to remain holy to your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Wow, this is an unbelievable story. There's so much depth to it. I want to share with you the traditional view of this story. According to tradition, it had been more than the year since the children of Israel had left Egypt. They had received the Torah of Sinai, worshipped the golden calf, been forgiven and built the tabernacle where God's presence was to dwell. They were now ready to enter the promised land after only a year of traveling. But the people were worried and asked Moses if they could send scouts uh, to check out what kind of land that they would be entering. Now, according to Jewish tradition, the Milaglim, the spies, including Caleb and Joshua, were the cream of the Israelite community. Until that time, Joshua, who was to become Moses' successor, had been known in the Torah as Hoshea, which is the same Hebrew word as Joshua, but without the Hebrew letter Yud. Moses added the Yud to Hoshea's Named, changing the meaning to God will save you. The additional boost of spiritual power represented in this new name would, according to tradition, serve him well in difficult times that lay ahead. The spies spent 40 days scouting out the land. There they discovered that the inhabitants were, according to their words, 
descendants of the giants. They would later report, as I indicated, that they felt like grasshoppers in the presence of the inhabitants. Caleb sensed that his fellow spies were getting edgy. And according to uh, Midrash, a story, he took a detour to Hebron, where he prayed at the cave of Machpelah, which was the burial site of the matriarchs, that he would have the strength to stand up to his disheartened comrades. After 40 days of reconnaissance, they came back to the Israelites who were camped in the desert. Sure enough, they said, everything is wonderful about this land, but the inhabitants are too strong for us. I've already offered you, in the summary, the response of the people who once again turned their back on God, claiming that God did not uh, wish to bring them to the promised land. I also expressed to you the notion that God's exasperation with the nation and his intention to annihilate them. And of course, this was not the first time. It was merely a year ago that God had wished to destroy the people following the sin of the golden calf. And at that time, God taught Moses the 13 attributes of mercy the formula through which divine forgiveness could be obtained, and I mentioned them in my introduction. Once again in this episode, Moses invokes the 13 attributes. God agreed to spare the children of Israel. However, they were not yet ready to enter the land. Rather, they would wander in the desert for 40 years. distressed that they were destined to wander the land, the Midrash, the homiletical tradition, tells us there were, there were some people who tried to reverse their punishment and to enter the land without God's permission. But that wasn't the right thing to do. Why do you transgress the word of God, Moses pleaded? It will not succeed. Do not go up, for God is not among you to protect you. However, these individuals and groups of individuals defiantly ascended a mountain, leaving Moses and the Ark of Covenant behind. The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived on the mountain came down to meet them and trounced them soundly, according to the Midrash. One might ask, what did the spies do that was incorrect. The spies were tasked with going to the promised land and bringing back fruit and a report, which they did. Weren't they being honest, sharing their findings in good faith? The key to the traditional understanding of this story is that Moses did not tell them to provide an assessment as to whether or not the people would be able to enter the land. If God willed it, surely there would be a way. He only asked them to report the facts, leaving the interpretation open. The Hasidic masters 
of Jewish tradition tell us that we are like spies in our own lives. When we encounter challenges and difficulties, we need to hold back from becoming prophets of doom and gloom. We need to believe that we have God on our side, and we can surely succeed. What did the spies do that was right? The Torah describes the spies of men of distinction, leaders of the Jewish people. How could they have failed so badly? One of the ancient traditions of Hasidism explains that they had the loftiest of intentions. In the desert, the people lived an idyllic life of spiritual bliss. Life revolved around the tabernacles, and their major pursuit was to understand God and Torah. Remember, this is a homiletical interpretation of the story. The spies feared that by settling the land, plowing and sowing and reaping, they would fall from their great spiritual height. The giant fruit in the land and the promises of material wealth that they portended frightened them. And they shared their fears with the people. Not fears of losing a military battle, but fears of losing their intimate connection with God who had brought them out of the land. Of course, ultimately, these ten spies were wrong. Because the purpose of creation, according to the tradition, is not for us to escape reality, but for us to embrace it and to make it into a dwelling place for God. And that can happen only when we engage the world. A very interesting interpretation. But of course, there are other interpretations. There are other ways that we can read this story. This story, from another interpretation, tells us about the power of fear. The Israelites who entered the Promised Land to scout brought fruit to report back. But they were afraid. And the essence of this story is by one other interpretation, the power that fear has as an emotion. You know, if we look at the world around us, many places human beings are living with fear of terrorism, fear of political decisions, fear of losing freedoms, fear of people who are different, fear of things changing, and sometimes fear of things staying the same. I often hear of people who fear the long-term effects of how we spend our time or resources, fear of not making a difference, and fear 
of the obstacles between where we stand right now and where we want to go as a community, as individuals, as families. The promised land, in a symbolic reading of Torah, need not be only the physical land of Israel. We each can choose a journey towards a metaphoric promised land of relationship with God, community, and shleimut, spiritual wholeness. On the journey, like Caleb in this week's Torah portion, we may see what is the promised land and say, let us go after it. Or we may be like the majority of scouts who focused on the obstacles and found themselves trapped in fear. The Torah portion shows that to get into the literal promised land, or the figurative one, a relationship with God, community, and a sense of wholeness is a necessity. And that though we will face fearful times, the community and God and our spiritual wholeness will help us through the difficult times. Caleb is the archetype of the individual or belief that exemplifies the hope of promise and the confidence that hope can guide us through fear. Psalm 23 says we are sheep and God is our shepherd. You know the verse, the eternal one is my shepherd, and I fear no harm for God is with me, whether in the form of headlines or personal obstacles, we recognize that there are wolves around us, but there is also a great protector. The generation that left Egypt was broken. They saw the miracles of the plagues, the sea of reeds splitting, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and still they were plagued with more fear than hope, more dark than light. It is no wonder that there are those among us, even today, those of us who do not recall the sights with their own mind's eye, who forget to focus more on hope than on fear. Focus on hope brings us through whatever wilderness we wander in. Hope is not easy to find. There is an eternal struggle to balance between righteousness and sins, and we do get a snapshot of eternity in the short life of ours when the scales of righteousness are tipped in our favor. The re- religious pursuit of faith has us put our weight into righteousness as a path to wholeness. The scouts that surveyed the land and came back with more fear than hope, spread the fear to an entire generation. Striving to live a religious life, we are challenged with the task of spreading more hope than fear. We are challenged with the task of carrying the light-colored paint. We do this through the words we share, the prayers we recite, the kindness we extend to others, and the justice that we pursue here. 
all of us, of course, are aware that we live in a time of fear and that the fear affects the decisions that we make and it disrupts our thinking about the future, the pandemic, the social unrest, all create with us an uncertainty about the future, an uncertainty about how we can understand and find a path forward. But we are not like the generation that came out of Egypt. We have the strength to move forward. We have the strength to know that God gives us the potential to find the promised land. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can find a podcast of our show on iTunes or the CHRI website. Shalom and have a good day. Shalom, 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 Shalom,